0: Chase Thomas Podcast the Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate I
1: already hate it. I hate it. Alright, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Everything school HQ, the preseason number two. College baseball team of the land, losing Jordan Beck, losing Drew Gilbert, losing Trey Lipscomb, all to the MLB draft, the MLB pipeline here on Rocky Top. Doesn't matter. Guess what? Tony Vitello has built the juggernaut (laughs) of all juggernauts. Preseason number two. uh, Perfect game. Puts the Vols right there to get back to Omaha um, after a year away.
0: Parade. Preseason champs. Preseason number two. We're throwing a parade for preseason number two now.
1: Preseason number two is pretty good, man. Mm. Losing all that they lost. Jumping right back in. Falls basketball. It's thrashing. Mississippi State at home this week. Um, no.
0: It's a college baseball podcast. What's going on here?
1: College it's, baseball is a delight, man. give the people what they want. People do love college baseball. If there's one thing that we learned this past year is people love watching Tennessee lose in college baseball. And unfortunately... They did not get to experience that all that often. They got to experience at the end, hey, but not they, all that they often. They did get
0: to experience it at the end. I think we all rallied together. I was like, let me check out this college baseball stuff. I hear about this Tennessee team. Uh, mm. I, hear there's, I hear they're a bunch of shit talkers. <laughs> I hope this team loses.
1: Um, We but will sure not address. Enough, well, yeah. And also here, Mac Green. always do. Yeah, they always do. Fellow University of North Georgia alumni, Mac Green, down there in Dekela, Georgia. Mac, good evening, sir. How are you?
0: Good evening, sir. I'm sorry to to cut in on your monologue there, but uh, I felt like you were going down a rabbit hole. I wasn't sure how deep you were gonna go, so I had to had to get out get out of the everything school rabbit hole as quick as I could.
1: Well, look, man, get
0: this thing back on track.
1: You beat Bruce Pearl. The dogs. I don't know if you watched UGA Auburn tonight. They beat Auburn. No,
0: I watched about two seconds of the game, but I did see that the dogs got a, got a big time win. Still football season for. Uh, for a couple fan bases out there, but um, yeah, once once football season's over, then I'll start to transition. Check out check out the the hardwood. Um, but yeah, it's like I I can kind of keep NBA you mm. know in my in my perif during mm. football season. But it's like I can't I can't balance college and NBA. It's too much. And then and mm. at some point, fantasy baseball baseball season's gonna start, and then I'm gonna gonna kind of kind of go that way as well. But yeah, big time win for the Bulldogs. Hopefully, yeah. uh hopefully the, the football Bulldogs can can do something as well this week.
1: I mean this is the last week for Georgia fans, right? Like this Auburn's is it.
0: not as good this year as, as last year, right? Like no, uh, yeah, no. are they ranked?
1: Yeah, they were number twenty two tonight.
0: That's big time.
1: Let me pull up Georgia. Mike campon. White. Mike White.
0: Alright, but uh anywho. Mike White. This is the biggest week of the college football season, sir. And that's what we need to be talking about.
1: You don't want to do more Georgia basketball? They're 90th in Ken Palm, by the way. 90th in the country. Um, Matt Green, the national championship. On Monday, we've got TCU. We've got Georgia. It's set. Um, this is our college football preview show. We will not be doing a show on Sunday night uh, this week. We're going to wait until after the college football playoff. It makes more sense to... Uh, Just do it after um, the championship game and do our recap then. Um, So look out for that uh, following the national championship game next week. But uh, we have a lot to talk about. And this is uh, obviously we talked about the big line between TCU and Georgia, the Cinderella story versus Goliath. This is a strong David and Goliath uh, battle in a lot of ways. But uh, how are you feeling a couple days out from the national championship has your have your feelings changed at all since our last pod when it you had the highs of highs of beating ohio state and you were kind of in a different frame of mind you were not all the way in on just what tcu versus georgia looked like you were just like hey we got through ohio state one of the best college football games of our lifetime got through it great ending crazy i don't want to think about tcu right now now that you've had a couple days to think about it has anything changed for you matt green
0: I would say nothing's changed in terms of I respected TCU all season. I think it was the guy over there in Knoxville that just constantly just uh, you know wait waiting for the other shoe to drop for for TCU this season. And they had and they've had so many close calls, but everyone makes has made such a big deal about elite passing game, um, just that be the only way to win a, college, a national championship, and, and Georgia obviously kind of ended that last year and obviously we got two Heisman quarter finalist quarterbacks in this game so you still need elite quarterback play but you've always just had to have everything you've had to be balanced you got to be have a pretty good defense TCU's challenging that now like this is this might be one of the worst defenses we've seen at least in the playoff era get to the national championship but in terms of having balance being able to run the ball and pass the ball like both of these teams do that so well so yeah, Max Duggan gives gives Georgia kind of a different look than they've seen all season. So I uh, you know, ultimately when you're if you're Georgia, you think about the the fours and five stars that you get, the how many more you have than than TCU and surely like I mean, I kind of thought Ohio State we I mean, most of us kind of thought Ohio State was the the next best team all season long. You know, we basically had Georgia and Ohio State one and two all year. It was just that that game versus Michigan which, you know, it's hard to know because they looked like such a better team uh, playing Georgia than they did Michigan. Um, so you got to give your habits off obviously to what Michigan was able to do against Ohio State. but Ohio State just felt like you know they they matched up with Georgia in terms of the the pedigree, the fours and five star prospects, the, the composite talent, all that you want to do the the projected first round picks and they most importantly, they had that elite quarterback and I feel like that's why, Ohio state felt like the national championship in a way that if Georgia can get past Ohio state, the team that kind of matches up the most dangerous against them, then, then you got to feel good about their chances to win it all. But Max Duggan, this team's built a little more like Oregon or Tennessee that, that Georgia has faced, like where the quarterback running is, is a primary, like part of the, of the offense, you know, like they're, they're going to call design runs and he's also going to run around and make plays. So. You know, you you obviously saw Georgia have a lot of success against Oregon and and Tennessee this year, so it it'll be interesting to see like you know how they match up in this one. But I think Tennessee TCU does have a a better running game than either of those two teams.
1: Yeah, and I wonder if that is going to be something to watch. Um, I mean, C.J. Stroud, we'll get into differences with C.J. Stroud and Max Duggan and stuff like that, but far more of a proven pocket guy. But he had he had to run and he had to scramble, but he was also incredible. Um, when pressured against georgia on uh on saturday evening his pff grade was in the 80s and he had not been anywhere near that when under pressure all season and you talked about it where that was just a different cj stroud than we've seen all season long um and uh yeah we'll get into it but um we're gonna yeah, do it I mean, Let, georgia yeah.
0: deserves a little bit of criticism for like not being able to get to cj stroud but they, mm. they did still get four sacks and It was a lot of him just making plays that we've never seen him make, like and keeping his eyes downfield and just making some great throws off uh, off schedule.
1: Yeah, and we should also mention like C.J. was obviously a Heisman finalist, Stetson was a Heisman finalist, and uh, Max Duggan uh, a Heisman finalist, Um, the three who are all right here. And Georgia will have to beat two Heisman finalists quarterbacks in succession here to go back to back uh, for the Natty. I will say um it's i'm happy that tickets have done well uh since saturday night it looks like a lot of people are scooping up tickets it's expensive it looks like there's gonna be a strong turnout for both fan bases which is good um because that was something i worried about on uh saturday evening so i'm glad that ticked up in the last few days oh, you know
0: it man this uh that dallas fort worth area they got some they got some wealthy alumni in that area they're gonna scoop up some tickets tcu I feel like they're definitely a Cinderella story, but I feel like people are treating them like they're like, what is this, like this is George Mason or something going to the final four. It's like, I mean, TCU is still like under Gary Patterson. They were a perennial 10, 11 win team, like in the, in the mountain West. And then in the big 12, like did they, did they win the Rose bowl one year I know they went to the Rose bowl at one year with, uh, with Andy Dalton, uh, went to the Fiesta bowl another year. So like, like they've been a really good program. And so like, they're not just some some no-name football program. Like obviously it's been a long time since they were on a, a stage nearly this big. Like, I mean, I can't even, I mean, one of those Rose Bowls or, or Fiesta Bowls, definitely the big, because they went undefeated, right? One of those Andy Dalton years. I think they went 13-0, and I want to say.
1: Um, it was the year, but, was that 2014? I was was that like
0: 2012 or Maybe something. Maybe 2012. Tw- something like that. But yeah, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, but yeah, I think 1938 was their last national mm-hmm. title, so it's it's been a it's been a couple of years for the for the Horn Frogs.
1: I mean, 10,000 undergrads, I think, at TCU, 30,000 for University of Georgia. It's is that right? I difficult.
0: think I, I think Ohio State is like 50,000 or something like that. And it's
1: like, I think I saw that
0: stacked up last week. Um, but yeah, Georgia trying to become the third team to go back to back in the last 50 years. Uh, you the, know the other team? I was going to say. The two. Bama. Because there's one I am not going to count, which I think you know. They they only won one championship. The uh, the USC Trojans. They uh... won it all in 2004. They did not win it all in 2003. So even though hmm. they were going for a three-peat, they only won one national championship. Um, mm. But yeah, Alabama 2011-2012, and then Nebraska uh, in 94-95. And mm. Nebraska and... Alabama, they both won three out of four uh, when they won back-to-back. Or I guess Nebraska split the one in 97. But, uh, like, Alabama had the 09, 11, and 12. So, who knows? If Georgia go back-to-back, they can get three out of four. And if you think about it, I mean, how close they were to winning it all in 2017. Like, Kirby could literally be going for his third national championship in, what, six years? Like, man... It's a new era of, of of college football, of Georgia football for sure, man. I don't know, man. Give me. Did top you see? 10 in everything. Did you see? Um. Obviously, uh, you saw the the thing about the tailgating. There's no tailgating in SoFi Stadium parking yeah, lots? Yeah,
1: that's weird. I am
0: really curious to see what happens. I I just there is no way in hell Georgia and TCU fans don't tailgate in that parking lot. You think people are gonna be grilling and drinking in that parking lot? I, I have a hard time believing that.
1: It's a good question, especially the people that are like, we spent how much money to come watch a mm-hmm. game here? Like the amount of money, are you really going to make a scene to not allow us to do this thing when we spent like 10 grand total to like get here, um, to buy tickets, to park and stay here, all that. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty expensive trip for most of these folks who are making the trip uh, to LA. Um, I will also say that... This is part of the issue of like where some of these games and now the Rose Bowl is going to be uh, a playoff venue and that's obviously changing after uh, this year. So Penn State will be the last basically normal Rose Bowl winner of all time. Oh,
0: so like they'll they'll do it on the thirty first or something the Rose Bowl. Well,
1: it's gonna be in the playoff rotation, so it's just not it's gonna been be in
0: the playoff before like Georgia well, Oklahoma was the Rose Bowl like uh, that. Who was it? Oregon, Florida State was the Rose Bowl that one year.
1: Well, when they go to 12 teams um, in 2024, and I think they're in the rotation next year. So I mm. think this is it based on what I was reading. It's like, this is it. This is the last time the Rose Bowl will be like a New Year six. That's just not a part of so the playoff. Next and just...
0: year will be the playoff. And then the year after that, we go to 12. Yeah. Okay. Oh, man, that's interesting. The Rose Bowl, you know... Who knows? It sucks. It's a, it's a, it's a cool bowl. Like it's, uh, it's got the great tradition. Just the, the views of the Rose bowl are really cool, but it's like, at the end of the day, if it's not like, if the Rose bowl doesn't happen, are we going to lose sleep? It's like, if we're just seeing two, if we're seeing a big time pac 12 and, and big 10 team play in Phoenix, like, are we gonna, are we all going to be like really sad about it? Like, God, I, I don't know. Like it's, I mean, it, it's a bummer, but you know, there's other reasons why I'm bummed about the 4-12 the to 12 teams, but did you see the... Uh, apparently, there's a guy named Dusty Baker who mm-hmm. is on TV, uh, TCU grad, apparently. Um, not the
1: Houston Astros not, World Series winning manager, no, Dusty Baker. There's a, no, there's
0: another Dusty Baker, but he, um, hmm. he showed a fan. I don't know where he got these numbers um, based on some sort of Twitter data something um, about the states that are rooting for Georgia and TCU in the national championship. And mm. it's uh it's pretty interesting. There is, there's one state in the South or two states in the Southeastern conference, not counting Texas. Cause I mean, that's, that's TCU territory, you know, uh, that are rooting that are not rooting for the Georgia Bulldogs. Um, do you think, you know, those two states,
1: wait, are you saying the majority of the country is rooting for Georgia?
0: No, just the sec. I'm saying, um, 28 states are rooting for TCU. Basically everyone, you know, just about everyone west of the Mississippi is rooting for TCU. Hmm. Interestingly enough, Ohio is rooting for TCU and, um, state of Michigan is rooting for Georgia, but, uh, Arkansas and Alabama, the only two states, uh, in the SEC that aren't rooting for Georgia. So, uh, Found that pretty interesting. A lot of a lot of Big Ten country is rooting for TCU too, so uh, you know it's just it's just dogs against the world. You know that's that's how it is. But I don't know if you've seen some of these Alabama videos now of like the reactions to the the Ohio State Georgia. It's it's funny. Like I was watching these Georgia fan reaction videos for a while, then I, you see Alabama fans how how much they were actually hanging on uh, Ohio State winning it. Oh, man. Love it. Love seeing those Alabama fans get mad at Georgia.
1: And look, I mean, they I would be really frustrated. I mean, it's its funny because, like, hey, you won a bunch of championships. It is what it is. Tennessee beat you. LSU beat you. Combined four points. You didn't take care of business. Just it's what happens. They are, like, they I don't know if you saw Bill Connolly's final S&P Plus rankings going into the national title, but number two is Alabama. Georgia and Alabama are 1-2. Uh, in the final rankings and it's like based on what we saw from Kansas State game and um, what we think they would have done to TCU and what they would have done to this Michigan team that we saw and Ohio State probably would have been a fun back and forth game with them but uh, Tennessee came in at five um, as we've said all year long top top five team Uh, uh, but you know
0: (laughs) and see and that's cool and everything but the like that's it should only go so far. Like I'm down with you keeping your S&P Plus rankings and you know having your 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 model where you that pr- helps project what's going to happen in the future, but we should only let that affect how we judge teams resumes so much in my opinion. Like we still yeah. have our our certain criteria of ranked opponents and you know wins like on the road and and whatever the case may be like I feel like the the people people take some of like the analytical maybe it's just because sports gambling has gotten so much bigger like it feels like people just take the analytical like model like stuff like oh Alabama's better see what the, the the ranking says and it's like you know they they didn't take care of business They lost two games like we know how it works like they're they're obviously a really good team they have really good players but it, it that that sort of thing like I hope it's not too much of a part of of the of the committee's thinking, because it's like, everyone was like, oh, you want the best four teams? It's like, well, you know, it's kind of subjective. So most deserving, like, that's one of the good things I think that will come from the 12 team playoff is no more of this like best four teams. It's like, you, you kind of, if you slot it in a more deserving way, then it's like, you know, decided on the field, like that is cool, but um, the analytics are, are fine, but it's, it's, you know, I feel like we, we have to draw a line somewhere, like who, what, were the, what was the rest of his like top five?
1: Uh, I think it was Ohio State three, Michigan four, um, TCU was six, and I think Tennessee was five.
0: Mm. So TCU is still still up there with the uh, with the big boys, but obviously you know on a neutral field, especially if you consider how that that Michigan game went. It's like this t- this TCU defense has been a little suspect at times this year, and to have two pick sixes in the game, like you still gave up like over 500 yards of offense. Like the, the defense didn't exactly play well, but I mean, they forced three turnovers and they scored two touchdowns. So like they obviously made some huge plays, but um, you know, how how much can you repeat that against uh against Georgia?
1: I also think it's weird that um, there's so many people still rooting for Georgia. That's odd. SEC teams, like the state of Florida and Tennessee and Alabama should not be rooting for Georgia. Like you like be honest, Matt Green, you and Jake Green, if it's TCU, Tennessee and the Natty on Monday <laughs> night, who are you rooting for? Be completely honest.
0: Um, Yeah, it's hard to say because um, I want I know Florida State, Auburn, 2013 mm. was one of the game years I had this kind of thought. And I, I had no idea who I was really rooting for in that game. And then as soon as it started, I think Auburn went up like 21-0 in that game, 21-3. And I was so happy that Auburn was up that big because it was like, this is the SEC, man. Like Auburn, this is a team, especially that year that that won like five games in like the final thirty seconds or something, and they're over here smashing like this greatest team of all time, averaging like fifty points, giving up like ten points a game. Um, Obviously, Florida State came back and ended up winning that game, but I feel like once it starts, like, like I'm not gonna. I'm not going to tweet in favor of Tennessee, you know, I'm not going to go nuts. But I think, I think part of you in the back of your mind, you're like, I know the SEC is the best. And it's like, it's satisfying to see the best of the SEC beat the best that whatever the rest of college football has to offer. And it's like, I feel like you got to give Florida credit for it. Honestly, back in 2006, I think Florida started all of the SEC pride. Like they were like the first... They were the first team I remember winning the SEC, like winning the national championship and they were like chanting SEC and stuff like that. And they were just talking, even in post game, talking about like Ohio State couldn't deal with like the, the speed of the SEC and stuff like that. It was like, and then that's when the streak started too, of winning like six, seven straight national championships. So it felt like ever since then that the SEC pride, like no other conferences even really have pride. That's why they talk shit about the SEC. Like you guys are rooting for your, your rivals in bowl games. Like... Uh, I don't know. It's it's different. It's like I'm not I'm not rooting for them, but I'd I'd almost rather see them win than someone from the other conference. You know, you weren't
1: rooting for Urban Myers, Tim Tebow, Florida team in the national title. I refuse to believe that was happening. I know in my family they were not doing that. Um, um, I don't know of any Georgia fans that were pulling hard for the Gators during that era. No one liked Urban, and I think a lot I wasn't of the SEC... pulling
0: for them. But when they won, it was like yeah sec is better you know it's like it's hard to explain like um i don't i don't know it's but part uh, of what makes
1: rivalries fun is like no i don't want you to win i want this to be as painful as humanly possible for you matt green love you man but and some rivals uh, are different
0: too for sure like like tennessee like at this point well see like when alabama and clemson were facing the first time i was one of the few people rooting for alabama because mm. i was thinking big picture i'm like clemson's this program they're like 30 minutes on the other side of the South Carolina Georgia border. Like we we already got all these damn powerhouse programs right around our state. I don't want another national title winning team and then that's they became another powerhouse. So Tennessee, it's like they're already kind of a big brand. Obviously it's been a, a while since they were like a true like title contender, but so I guess that is kind of for the same reason. I guess I probably wouldn't be rooting for Tennessee because I don't want them to kind of reach that level at this point. But um, I don't know. I, once I saw the two teams on the field, like watching Clemson and Tennessee play uh, on the, in the Orange Bowl. Like I'm not rooting for Tennessee to, to win, but it's like when you see them kind of balling out on Clemson, you're like, ha, Clemson losing to another SEC team. Like, yeah, I you know, kind of
1: loved it. But it's also no stakes for that one. Like, it's the Orange Bowl, New Sticks. Like, yeah, you, I can understand, like, for any bowl games, like, superiority when it's not a natty involved. But, like, Tennessee fans, Florida fans, whoever, it's like, guess what doesn't help Tennessee in the future? Georgia going back-to-back. A lot of those <laughs> kids that you're going after, you don't want them to keep go- Like, nobody wanted Alabama to keep garbling up these national titles because it just made it that much easier for them to recruit these kids and to keep this machine going. So as someone who plays Tennessee every single year and Alabama every – or Georgia every single year and Alabama every single year, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and hard pass on back-to-back <laughs> national championships for Kirby Smart. Like that's a tough I'm, pass. I'm you a know
0: sucker what I'm- for uh, the SEC. Pri- I think Florida is the only one that at, at this point is a – a root against at all costs I think mm. I think I can I can justify rooting for some other teams I mean I think you make me root against Tennessee more than I ever did no but um just like seeing like when you have those regular season games where you're like you know if they win this game then they're gonna be top 10 when we play them and like it's a big time game it makes like our resume look better and stuff like that like in the playoff era, you don't really necessarily have to worry about that as much because it's easier to get into the top four than having to be like one or two in the BCS. But I think Florida's the one that I'm just like, yeah, lo- week before our game lose to LSU, go for it, yeah, like lose every game you play, lose to Missouri, awesome. Like uh, I, I, Florida's the definitely the number one rival in my book.
1: Yeah, it seems like every but Tennessee fans are the same way. Where if you ask them, they're like, they're not rooting for Florida. Like, that's the one caveat is like SEC, but like, we're not pulling for Florida in the national championship game. That seems like the unanimous, just we're not doing it. Um, I, I was think,
0: pulling for him against Ohio State the first time, mm-hmm. though. I do remember that. I don't know. There's something about that team. I, I respected that team, too. That's that 2006 team. It was a and of like, also Ohio State It's like go Ohio State. You know, like wow. you no, know, we don't we're SEC people. That's all it is. We've never liked Ohio State.
1: I mean Ohio State's basically the SEC. Most of their players are SEC. Um like it's a it's a pretty SEC team. Uh I they're think about Urban
0: as- since Urban Meyer, I think they have. Yeah, I feel like they were kind of that same like under Trestle, they were like just they were the elite of that Big Ten style, you know, like that Midwestern football. It wasn't until Urban Meyer that they kind of like blended the Midwestern, their their big big strong boys with like the the elite athletes coming out of the Southeast. Like I think that's, and now they're obviously year in year out, they're one of the elite programs, but I don't know, we'll see if Ryan Day can finally get over the hump one, one of these days. Wow. Um, and also we,
1: oh, it was. I just lost my train of thought. There was another thing I was gonna say about that. Um, I don't remember what it was. I just lost my train of thought. Um, it'll come back to me. Matt Green, in terms of actually what's going to happen in this football game, let's get into our Georgia versus TCU National Championship preview, sir. I have a series of questions, some good stuff from Football Scoop, um, PFF, just diving through the numbers, reading different things on uh, this matchup and all that good stuff. But I want to start with some questions for you, sir. I want to start here. How does Georgia beat TCU on Monday night?
0: um i think there's i think there's a variety of ways georgia can win, can beat tcu i think that's kind of what makes them so good is like you look at some of their bigger games this year with like like tennessee and oregon and you know lsu and and ohio state now it's like they've won all of those games in such different ways like they scored points in basically all of those games tennessee that's probably the, the fewest they scored in any of those games oh yeah by a long shot that's the fewest they scored so you just see, like, I think Oregon out out outgained Georgia on the ground in that game. It's like that game was never close. Like, just absolutely blew the doors off them. Where it was, it was Stetson throwing through the air, throwing four or five touchdowns, and then but a lot of that that short stuff to like Bowers and McIntosh and McConkey, just kind of throwing those those screens and those like jet sweeps and stuff like that. And then you just you you had the game, and, it, and he kind of did the same thing against LSU. And then you look at a game like uh, like the Ohio State game, where I mean, the three running backs in that game had 16 carries for 154 yards, like almost 10 yards a carry. Like they were just gashing Ohio State on the ground. And then Stetson also throws for almost 400 yards and and four total touchdowns. So it's it's there's so many ways for Georgia to 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 beat you offensively. Like and you and especially look like against Ohio State. Like obviously you have to give. The vast majority of the credit, like I don't, I, I, it's hard to say like Georgia's defense didn't play well, you know, but it's hard to just say they played poorly. I think it's just Ohio State is that elite. Like they would just, Ohio State balled and played just about a perfect game offensively. So it's hard to see TCU, you know, like doing exactly what Ohio State did. But in terms of offensively, like we know about Bowers. We obviously know about Stetson and then McIntosh. McIntosh, here's a stat for you. Third player in SEC history to have 500 yards rushing, 500 yards passing, and 10-plus touchdowns. Hmm. Uh, My brother, shout-out Jake Green, gave me that stat. But um, do you know know the other two? I do not. Uh, Percy Harvin and Hmm. uh, Dexter McCluster, the other ones. So some some really dynamic players. So McIntosh, almost 800 yards on the season, uh, 500 yards uh, receiving. Like, he's been... I think super underrated for for how good he's been this year just because Georgia spreads it out so much and they've blown out so many teams that like he could have had his like Saquon Barkley year of having like I'm not saying he's as good as Saquon Barkley but having like 12 1300 yards and you know when there's 6 700 yards receiving or something but because the way Georgia kind of blows people out and and spreads the the wealth like I think it, it kind of minimizes how good he's actually been this year. But, you know, I feel like him and Bowers are really the two like studs of this offense, minus Stetson. But then you see in the SEC or in the in the a game against Ohio State, like A.D. Mitchell is back and he played a huge role. Arian Smith, like this is the guy George Fans been waiting on. He's got like ten career catches, averaging like forty yards a catch and like five touchdowns. Like he's just probably the closest thing George has had to a Cole Hardman that's uh just a game breaker, like legit track speed. Like there's some routes. Like I don't know if you remember the 2020 Alabama uh, Georgia game. Uh, Jalen Waddle beat Tyson Campbell for like an 85 yard touchdown mm-hmm. or something. Tyson Campbell like fell on it and he, and he scored. Tyson Campbell slipped and fell on that while he's trying to keep up with Jalen Waddle. That Arian Smith play against Ohio State. That was like a crossover in basketball. Like he made that man fall. Like he just got one step, and he was just so fast, he was already by him. Like, just absolutely burned right by him. So, Arian Smith just he takes this offense to another level. Obviously, Darnell Washington, if he's not able to go, he's like the, just the unicorn in Georgia's offense. That. Georgia wants to run two tight ends all the time because it's such a good it's it's such a good blocking scheme but also they're so dangerous uh passing the ball with him and Bowers so it's like that that Georgia running the um the formation with two tight ends like makes them almost
1: what are you saying 11 personnel yeah
0: 11 personnel I guess Mm -hmm. I was blanking on it um like it it makes them just so hard for the defense to guard but Mm -hmm. there's just there's so many guys like if you look at you know what has been the the common um the common phrase for the last two play college football playoff games Georgia's played if Alabama has James as Jameson Williams if they have you know John Mechie, if if Ohio State has Marvin Harrison Jr for the for the third fourth quarter or i was really at the end of the third so for the fourth quarter like those games are different mm-hmm. like those offenses hinge on one two star players way more than Georgia does like they just on top of like it's what'd I say? Bowers, McIntosh, like McIntosh, Edwards, and, and Milton, like all three in the backfield have been so good this year. Like I, I'll be honest. I wasn't as high on Kendall Milton coming into this year. He was kind of disappointing. Like he's kind of take, like taking his game to the next level. I think the last like second half of the season, I think maybe he's finally completely healthy. Cause he's a guy who's, kind of been slowed down by injuries a lot throughout his career. But, like, the, the running game is just so dangerous. Bowers, Washington, now A.D. Mitchell and McConkie. If if McConkie's 100% healthy, I'm not, I'm not sure he is either. But there's just so many guys. Like, even you even saw, like, Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint, Dominic Blaylock, uh, Kiaris Jackson make a huge catch in that game. So I think Georgia's just got so many weapons. Um, if, if, if TCU's not forcing turnovers, I think they're going to be a, very hard to stop.
1: It did seem like Stetson had more variety in who he was throwing the ball to more than any other game this year, right? Like you go through the stat sheet and it's just like everybody, like Playlock was uh, used in that one. I mean, you go up and down the list. It's just like everybody who we've heard about as like a possibility of stepping up for Georgia this year at least had one reception in the Ohio State game.
0: Yeah, for sure. And A.D. Mitchell getting healthy was a huge mm-hmm. part of that, too. But, yeah, and I remember Blaylock had, a, like, a big third down catch early in the game. Kiaris Jackson had the one to set up the the game-winning touchdown. And Arian Smith, like, three for, like, 130 or something, I think, in the game. Like, yeah, it was, uh, it was massive.
1: And I also wonder, too, where this is something that benefited Tennessee uh, over the month, where it's like, oh, man, we don't have Jeremy Banks. He's such a crucial part to what Tennessee does defensively. And not having in the last time we saw him was like I think South Carolina game goes very differently if he plays um in that game, but it's also they didn't know that he wasn't gonna play until extremely late in the week. So that changes your game plan. So like they've had a week and a half. Kirby will have a week and a half to kind of plan and game plan for no Darnell Washington, right? And you have Oscar Delp, and this is um you have guys. Yeah, that like, too. You have options. He's not Darnell, like you're just not. Those kind of guys just like what he does as a blocker is just yeah. Oscar Delp can't be that guy. The size just doesn't match up. But he held his own and he's a good receiver and Oscar have, Delp
0: could just be a normal tight end blocker <laughs> and not this left tackle who also runs routes.
1: Right. And so when they're in twelve personnel with those two, I don't I don't think you're gonna see that much of a, a drop off from um, Darnell to Oscar you're not going to be like man they're really missing him because I think it, it helps that Todd Monken will have a week and a half to to scheme and prepare for not having Darnell like it's different when the game starts against Ohio State and Darnell gets taken out and you're like oh well that's a lot of what we were game planning to do we had to throw a lot of stuff out in the moment and it's hard um to just kind of adjust on the fly for someone who's such a critical part of what you try to do offensively Now you're going into the TCU game like, hey, we have a better feel for whether or not we're going to have packages. If Darnell can go, we have a scheme and plan. If Darnell can't go, you know what I mean? Like, I just don't think it'll be as big of an issue as it was losing Darnell early in the game um, against Ohio State and having to adjust with somebody who's so critical to everything you do, both in the run game, in the pass game, in the middle of the game.
0: Yeah, I I think that's definitely a good point. And I think Todd Monken at this point, I just... I trust that he's going to scheme the guys uh, to be in the right place. And, and you look at TCU, like what, what they gave up against Michigan. Like it's so hard to evaluate that game. Like it was just the craziest like college football game we've seen. Both teams turned it over three times. Just, just the huge plays in the game. But like, like Donovan Edwards had, you know, I think like 120 yards in that game, but he had 60 on the first three carries in, on the first drive. So the, the, Final, you know, I don't know, 50 minutes of the game, he had 20 carries for about 50 something yards. So they did do a pretty good job of shutting him down, but that was one of my concerns about Michigan was they're, they're such this run heavy team and they've had Blake Corum, they've had Edwards, and they've had all these guys that, you know, a, a committee of, of running backs that one guy, they, TCU was able to, you know, kind of slow down as the game went on. Georgia's going to have three different running backs that they're, obvi- they're always going to be throwing a fresh guy at them. They're probably going to hand the ball to Brock Bowers at some point as well. So it's like, I don't know, they're going to have some challenges. Like, they obviously made the big plays, but it's, uh, it's, it's hard to ignore Michigan still putting up, I, I want to say, was it like 580 yards or so in that game? Like, they, they put up a big, a big number. Hmm. 528, Michigan had.
1: Okay. Um, where are they most vulnerable? coming in. Where do you think Georgia is the most vulnerable against TCU? I
0: would have, I would say Georgia, I've kind of said to you before under Kirby smart, they do so well against these quarterbacks that are run first dual threats that might be kind of questionable passing the ball, like an Anthony Richardson or someone like that. like, you know, maybe someone better than Anthony Richardson too. He's not necessarily the the best version. Like a Jalen Hurts was honestly the first time they played him in the national championship. They kind of disrespected his passing ability and he got binged at halftime because Georgia was putting the shackles on him. Like, so Max Duggan, he is that run first type of guy, but he's been so good passing this year. Like he's not CJ Stroud. And so I think that's, that's what doesn't scare me as much about Max Duggan is because they don't, they have Quentin Johnson. And so that's just a one elite receiver that that could potentially just win some, some 50, 50 balls and and make some big plays. But it, it's not the same as just all those receivers that Ohio state was throwing at you as well as CJ Stroud, just putting the ball on an absolute, just, just dropping dimes like he was in that game. So max duggan that's what it's going to take though and i would say that's what worries me the most is that max duggan has had these games where he gets his greg jennings on and he, and he puts the team on his back so i uh that's max duggan getting in hero mode is probably the things that, that worries me the most as well as this running game there's there hasn't been anyone that's been able to consistently run on georgia all year really like so ohio state was doing it some in the second half and they were, they were starting, it felt like they were starting to pull away in like in the third quarter. So Ohio state, you know, kept Georgia honest in the second half running the ball, but with Max Duggan being a part of this running game, if, if Kendra Miller is not healthy, that's obviously a huge blow for, for TCU. But obviously, uh, De Mercado had, a, had a big game in his absence and he's a solid second running back. He's been solid all year for them. So, you know, that's, I think that's the biggest thing. If they're able to run the ball on Georgia, which they've been able to run on most teams they've played this year, I think that's gonna be how how TCU wins. Cause I mean, coming into this game, Michigan was number one running run defense in the country and they ran all over them. So now if you look at the numbers, Georgia's the, the number one run defense, but that's just because of what, uh, what TCU did to Michigan last week. So it's hard to say that's your biggest concern because as a Georgia fan, no one's been able to run on us consistently, so that that's something you have to feel confident in. But TCU is is probably done it better than just about anybody that Georgia's faced this year. Uh, uh, definitely with a, 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 a running and I, there's not one they faced really with a, the running ability of Max Duggan. Like Hendon Hooker is definitely a good runner, and and Bo Nix is a good runner, but I don't know. Max Duggan just gets those like hard yards. Like I, like like Hooker will put his head down. Um on a, on a linebacker or a safety but I don't know Max Duggan uh he seems like he's built different
1: he's bigger like Max Duggan's a bit he's undersized I mean he definitely wants the contact more uh than Hendon but he's just a bigger is he body bigger dude. than
0: Hooker though height weight
1: yeah for sure Max Duggan looks big. a little
0: lean he's this is some 6'2", 210 two two
1: ten let's see he's definitely bigger than two ten now but <laughs> um what is Hendon there's In no your way bra. Hendon, Hooker let's see six two Hinton's probably taller yeah he's six four um uh, but there's no way he's uh the same frame yeah he's yeah.
0: definitely built not built the same as a no nah.
1: um matchup to watch if you're a Georgia fan because we saw the matchup to watch in the ohio state game was the fact that um georgia was kind of they were they were in a dogfight, uh, for lack of a better word, with Marvin Harrison Jr. and the receivers um, for Ohio State. The difference, I think, here is Quentin Johnson. Like he had the big play, the 70-yarder, but he's more of a um, he's more of a catch in traffic kind of guy. He's not just gonna yeah. uh, burn you in different ways. Like it's just gonna be more contested stuff. So like him and Keely Ringo, who I'm sure is gonna be his assignment, it's just gonna be a physical, more like Cedric Tillman versus uh, Ringo type of game instead of just like. Ringo could not keep up with just the kind of like the just how good Marvin Harrison was at getting away from guys and finding the soft spots and zones and just um Faster, better. Like he's just a little bit different. Dif- he's not as physical of a receiver, and this is going to be more of a physical kind of guy that I think maybe Keely Ringo matches up better with um, in this yeah, game. And it
0: wasn't just Harrison Jr. either. I mean, yeah. there was Abuka and there was Julian Fleming too. But I was yeah. kind of thinking the same thing because he doesn't seem like the same burner, the same mm-hmm. like kind of quick route runner like the the run after catch kind of he doesn't seem like i mean obviously he had a damn good run after catch against michigan we don't but, see that very often but yeah he is that that throw it up for and make a make a contested catch and that seems like up keely ringo's alley like mm-hmm. he's a guy who who plays the ball great he's huge for a corner like rusty mansell uh for dogs 24 7 is always talking about like every time i'm around keely ringo i'm just like shocked at how big he is just because mm-hmm. i mean this guy's a cornerback so like People, you know, have have kind of, you know, downgraded him based on that, what he did against Ohio State. I think it's a little bit of an overreaction because it's like Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be probably an NFL superstar. So, like, you know, you had a bad game against Jamar Chase. That doesn't mean you can't play in the NFL, you know. So, uh, I think Keely Ringo is still a really good player. And I think, you know, you just look at him. The, his build and the way he plays the ball I, I think that is that's not the worst matchup and even kamari Laster on the other side because Georgia really doesn't uh move their corners that often like he's he's another physical corner on that side but I think ringo is definitely the the matchup Georgia would want uh and going against Quentin Johnston
1: I would agree um how does TCU win on the flip side here Matt green if you had to look in your crystal ball how does TCU beat Georgia
0: yeah, I think it's, uh, like I said, I think it's the Max Duggan, you know, putting the team on his back and, and they have to get a turnover. Like, they have to get a turnover or two. Like, I think, like, that was the biggest difference in the Ohio State game for Georgia. Because, you know, a lot is made, I think, in the Georgia-Ohio State game. Like, you know, Kirby Smart was talking about how well Ohio State played and, and, you know, they may have been the more deserving team. And it's like, I feel like the common narrative is Ohio State was the better team, but Georgia found a way to win. It's like, oh, okay, we were being a little humble here. Like, Ohio State played a great game, but Georgia still played a really damn good game too. Like, Georgia had more rushing yards. Georgia had more passing yards. Like, Georgia, they were they were moving the ball on Ohio State the same way Ohio State was moving it on them. They missed two field goals. They also threw an interception. And I think that's mm-hmm. the the biggest difference is Ohio State was able to hold to, – to break serve uh, with – with getting that in, that turnover early, and then it's like the game is it could be a little different if if Georgia hits some of those field goals as well. So I think TCU is going to have to get some of those breaks. Like they're going to have to get a turnover, maybe even a missed field goal. Like some of those like kind of momentum changing plays, and it's just gonna it's gonna take Max Duggan just kind of. You know, making those off schedule plays because, like, obviously, you saw that's what gave Georgia's defense the most trouble. Like, that's what we saw Bryce Young do to them at times. That's what we saw, you know, CJ Stroud do so many times last week. It's just that that running around, making something happen. It, that's that's what it's going to take, I think, ultimately to to be for Tennessee for TCU to win this game.
1: Yeah, I'm curious too. Like, will the pass rush be better? against tcu do you think they get home more against this tcu front and do you expect max duggan to struggle more with what george is going to do how healthy are they at edge going into this game
0: yeah i mean i think that's definitely where you have to worry about georgia i think chaz chambliss is the one that got hurt and he's mm-hmm. already the backup behind nolan smith who's missed the second half of the season so um chaz chambliss i, I think they expect him to play but i don't know if that's guaranteed Um, and then I I don't, I don't think there's any other, you know, injuries that are going to go into this game,
1: but that's, so Williams is okay.
0: Yeah. I don't, I don't know of any like lingering injuries issues for, for Michael Williams or like Robert Mm. Beal or anything, but George is definitely thin at that spot. You saw multiple true freshmen, Marvin Jones, Jr. Um, Jalen Walker, were both in like Jalen Walker has been a a third down only player. It's kind of like been a thing under Kirby smart. It seems like some of the, the big time freshmen, like the Nakobe Dean's and, and Trayvon walkers would come in on those third down packages. Like, and Jalen Walker has been one of those guys this year, number 11. And he's uh he was in on a lot of first and second downs in the, in the third and fourth quarter in that game. And it, that was more than I've ever seen him on the field. So that's definitely a concern. Um, just getting after the, the passer. Uh, but you know, I think George has got some good linebackers. I mean, in Jalen Carter, like Ohio State did a great job on Jalen Carter. I think probably holding him a little bit, but you know, you, you do what you get away with. It's not holding if they don't call it. And Ohio State just has a, I think, a, a, a much more talented offensive line, especially at the tackle positions, than TCU does. So to think that TCU can can just hold off the D line, much less you know when George is blitzing. I, it's hard to see them doing it as well as Ohio State did it, but Max Duggan's going to have to make some of those plays with his legs.
1: Yeah, I would agree. Um, and we'll see ultimately what happens, but uh, I'm I'm very curious to see what it looks like if they don't get home and Max Duggan has time, but he seems like the same kind of guy where it's like Strad. we were surprised, evaded the pressure and dealt with the pressure as well as he did. Duggan, you just kind of assume is going to deal with the pressure pretty well, but... We'll see. He's never been in a moment like this, and never played a defense this good uh, to this point. Um, And and
0: Duggan, and no disrespect to Duggan, because he's like a really good quarterback. But C.J. Stroud, it was not an option to just let him sit in the pocket and make him beat us with his arm. Like Mm. you had to get to C.J. Stroud, or else he was going to destroy you. Like Max Duggan, there could be a little more of that. Like you know make him beat us from the pocket. I yeah. don't know that Max Duggan has that same, I, I definitely don't think he has that same ability, that arm talent that CJ Stroud does. He's obviously had a great season, 32 touchdowns, six picks, like completing almost 64% of his passes. But, you know, if if he's forced to just, you know, beat Georgia's uh, secondary and they're gonna sit back and make him make plays in the pocket, like I, I wonder if he if he can do that consistently enough.
1: That's fair. Um, the last thing on the actual matchup stuff, I just, we kind of had this a little bit about this a little bit, but Quentin Johnston being like the main guy to worry about. And I think something that people missed when Marvin Harrison went down, is just that like, man, Ibuka is a higher rated prospect than Marvin Harrison jr. Like he, he's a true five-star 99 overall 247 guy that like they had just talent everywhere you look and i mean this class i got coming in still just brian hartline's done an incredible job uh building that wide receiver room in columbus it's just not the same for tcu um we'll see how healthy kendry miller is i think that's extremely important uh for the frogs coming into this when they need him right uh coming into this but it's just they don't have the game breakers that puts Georgia's secondary on their heels i don't think they're going into this game nearly as fearful um, about the inexperience of malachi starks uh and on the back end like yeah he struggled the last two games but a little bit of a different animal with lsu's wide receiver group and ohio states group versus what tcu is like Quinn johnson's gonna be a first round guy he might be the first receiver taken who knows um but it's just there's a drop off from there and i just i think that's going to be interesting to see what that drop off means for this Georgia secondary and how much that limits what TCU is able to do against Georgia that they've been able to uh, take care of against everybody else to this point.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting. They do, I mean, they do have, they spread it around. They have several receivers that, you know, have solid like 30 catch, 500 yard, 400 yard, like, four or five touchdowns like they're they're receiving other than the the one guy with a thousand yards their they receiving numbers look a lot like a, a typical uga season mm. with a few guys with 20 30 receptions but what i found was kind of interesting was was kindre miller and and de mercado with 16 catches and 12 catches like not a big part of the passing game either these running backs mm. so you know or maybe they have a wrinkle for, for one of these guys to get involved in the passing game, but uh, for for the most part, it's the wide receivers and the tight ends that are going to make the noise in the passing game.
1: For sure. Uh, Matt Green. Um, CJ Stroud had a PFF grade in the 80s. Trevor Sigma PFF I was talking about it on the pod uh, yesterday um, when pressure against EGA. Uh, we wonder if Max can match that and what that means for this game, but it's also, I was going through on PFFs, uh, pass chart and looking at his stats versus um, Stetson, who we'll get into in a second. But Duggan is just elite uh, between the numbers deep, like right over the middle, which is just uh, going to be interesting because that means Alki Starks is going to be in that zone and that's going to put the responsibility. They're going to attack the middle of the field deep like that. And we'll see how many deep shots he's able to get, but he's 15 to 28, uh, 589 yards, uh, nine TDs, two picks um, to the outside left. He's not as accurate, eight to twenty-four, five TDs, no picks, um, but deep balls. He's he's comfortable and obviously up close um, things. Just uh, at the line of scrimmage or behind, a lot of screens, um, not a lot of uh, play action. Only seventy-two percent of his dropbacks or seventy-two percent of his dropbacks did not uh, have play action. Twenty-seven percent did. So not a not a heavy play action team for the frogs. But um, I'm curious, like he when he was under pressure. He had a 41% completion percentage uh, this year. 51 overall offensive grade when he's kept clean, 91 PFF grade. So there's this idea that like Max Duggan's going to be ready for the the blitz and ready for what Georgia throws at him. The numbers aren't good. Um, 60 TDs one pick, but I mean, 41% completion percentage. He's, and just the difference between kept clean, 91 offensive grade, 53, 26 TDS, five picks. You go up and down the list, it's like, I don't know, man, 15 big time throws when he's kept clean, only six all season long when he's under pressure. So I think that's something to monitor because we'll get into Stetson and how that uh, one of the narratives that people miss was Stetson, um, specifically a Tennessee uh, um, (laughs) ex-quarterback who went after uh, Stetson this week. Oh,
0: man. We got to talk about that. We don't
1: have to. I don't think we have to give light to it. It's just your boy, Eric Ainge. He's not my boy. Um, (laughs) It's just not. Look, I can't help what other people say like it's just bad spirited mean-spirited and and something that I don't agree with but um with all that being said what do you think about that and uh Max's numbers when under pressure and how that changes your perspective on what what's to come on Monday
0: I mean I think it makes it's consistent with with most quarterbacks you know like I think most guys are just going to be are usually worse when uh when they're being pressured so you know you
1: that's a 40 point drop though
0: no, that is, a, that is a huge difference. And he's been sacked 25 times this year. I think Stetson's mm-hmm. been sacked about eight times, nine times on the on the whole season. So I think Ohio State got him twice. It was like his first, it was the first time he'd been sacked in like seven games or something mm-hmm. like that. It was a, a crazy stat they put up on the broadcast. But um, yeah, I think that's, ultimately that's the name of the game you got to get to the quarterback and without like Nolan Smith wasn't the best pass rusher to begin with he was really like his strength was in the run, run in the in the run game mm. but uh he obviously still i think he's still Georgia's sack leader um on the season with like 3 or 4 sacks which is is not great but um they obviously do have you know a variety of guys that have one or two on the season but um you're going to need to to get pressure ultimately. Cause I mean, this TCU offense has been super dynamic this year.
1: Yes, indeed. Um, I am very curious to see what that looks like. On the flip side, Stetson only has two big time throws this season under pressure. And like you said, he hasn't been sacked very often. And George's offensive line have kept him upright uh, for the majority of this season. So he has not found himself in that predicament, which is not a fault of Stetson. But what's interesting when you go back through his numbers, he is uh his worst balls this season have been the short stuff, like to the left to the right. And I wonder if that was something that you saw all season watching a lot of his stuff, like the screens, the just the little passes to the flats, things like that is where he was missing um a little bit. He airmailed like a one or two of those uh in the Ohio State game where you're like, "Oh, he's just like off. He's like in his head. He's just um, he missed a couple uh like that um i think one of them was it a fumble they thought was a fumble and they dive on it because it was kind of backwards I yeah remember. that
0: was one of the that was a big play late um yeah. that george just ended up sending for a field goal mm-hmm. um yeah to mcconkey
1: right that's what it was and what's different though is you go deep and stetson is just uh He's been an elite deep ball thrower all year long. Um, his issues are near and uh, at the line of scrimmage and stuff like that. So I thought that was fascinating is when people... It's like the Arian Smith stuff. Like One of the things that's interesting about Stetson and a lot of these quarterbacks now, we get so into the, the arm strength stuff that it seems like the guys who don't necessarily pop with arm strength have better deep ball percentages and somebody you trust more in deep balls because they just... They're more accurate. They have to be more precise, and it doesn't. Uh, they're not throwing it out of the the building like a Joe Milton or whoever, where it's just there's more touch. You just watch a Hendon Hooker, who he's not known for his deep ball, but they were fine. Like they, you never once were like, man, he just doesn't have the arm to do what we need to do deep. Stetson's that same kind of way, where it's like, yeah, he doesn't have the. I'm certain he doesn't have the best arm in that quarterback room, but the ball gets where it needs to go and he's really, really comfortable launching it deep when he needs to, whether it's A.D. Mitchell, whether it's Arian Smith, whoever, um, he's he's more than happy to go downfield, especially when his back is against the wall.
0: Yeah, for sure. And and I don't know how much to make of, you know, the the numbers and the, the certain uh, the certain parts of the the grid or whatever. I'm I'm totally blanking on the word I'm trying to say. Like modules. Yeah. And like the certain modules, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. them. Um, but I feel like more than anything, he's just seems like such a rhythm guy. Like hmm. if, if the offense is in rhythm, it seems like when Georgia does like their up-tempo stuff is when he seems like he's, he's doing his best when he's kind of, you know, things are moving kind of quickly. Like there, I know there's been those game like against LSU, there was a, a series where he had a couple of these like little Johnny Manziel type plays a couple in a row. And, and then he gave it a little, okay, let's, let's slow down. Let's take it easy. Like, I don't want to go too crazy, but, um. Like when you see him in the pocket and he's in rhythm and he's, he's throwing on schedule, that's when it, like, you see, like, there's certain ways he, he delivers it. I, I know like the one against McCon like the, the, the deep ball to McConkey in the Tennessee game. It was like coming off the turnover, just like going deep. It was just like the way he threw it. You just felt like, oh, he's got somebody. Like there's a, whenever he's in the pocket, you saw it a lot versus Ohio state early in the game. And he's, he's pump faking and he's tapping the ball. Like, guys are covered, that's when you're worried like Stetson's going to force something. He's going to try to, she's going to try too hard to make a play in traffic or something like that because he almost threw a bad interception um, in the red zone. I think it was literally that play after we're talking about the one of McConkie. That was right after the Brock Bowers somehow keeping himself off the inbounds and getting that fourth down conversion. Then second down, it was like second and goal from like the three or something and that's when they ran that play. To McConkie and we went backwards. It was like third and goal from the 13, and on that third and goal, he just he he forced it into a window at the goal line, and it could have been picked off. And it's like that's what you 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 can't put setson in those bad situations where he's trying too hard to make a play. It feels like when when things are on schedule because I would have said his short stuff was where a lot of his stats were coming, just because it seems like throwing those the short ones to to Bowers, to McConkie, to to McIntosh is. When you've seen a lot of the the big uh, plays after the catch, like the the touchdown to McIntosh uh, against Ohio State on that middle screen, it's like it seems like a lot of Georgia's most dangerous plays are when they can get the balls to the running backs or or the tight ends and just kind of run after the catch. So, uh, he, I think the the arm strength thing is just like he doesn't have he probably didn't have the strongest arm because I mean Carson Beck's got supposed to have a cannon, Brock Vandegrift's supposed to have a really strong arm too. They're really highly ranked recruits, but it just gets overblown because I've seen very few deep balls from Stetson that I was like, he didn't have a strong enough arm to get it there. It, it, it's more times than not, it's what the hell is that? Where was that, Where the hell is that throw going? Something like mm. that. Like when it's a bad throw, it's just like, I think he threw one either against Missouri or Kentucky. That was just like a deep ball that, I don't know, miscommunication or something. But it's, it's rarely just like a, and that was like a cold, windy game too. But it's rarely just his arm strength that, um, that that's in question because you know, how many times you need to throw the ball 70 yards. If you can just accurately throw it 30, 40 yards, you're, you're going to be able to uh, complete a lot of passes. So maybe not like C.J. he definitely didn't have a lot of arm like CJ Stroud does. You could see on some of those, just throwing from one hash to the opposite side of the field. CJ Stroud is just more physically gifted, but um, Stetson still got a strong enough arm to make, you know, most of the throws he needs to. So uh, that that sort of thing, I feel like, can be over, kind of overblown sometimes.
1: I would agree with that um, as well, Matt Green. So, I'm, that's kind of the quarterback aspect of this. Let's let's just go a little bit bigger here. Let's go like, all right, big picture with this matchup. Um, TC, we talked kind of at the top of the show, um, what this matchup is gonna be, and like, um, just the 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 spread and things like that. But this is just an unbelievable Cinderella story that like, we, are, we need to talk about a little bit more. Because I've been, like you said, waiting for the, the, the foot to drop um, when it comes to the, the Horn Frogs. I've said that they were a good team, top six, seven, Like seven. I've said that all year. Like, I think they're like the six or seven best team in the country. I've said that all year. I just don't think they're one of the four or five best. I just don't. Still don't think that. But they are winning the games that are in front of them. What are they supposed to do? They beat Michigan. They belong here. They deserve to be here. But there is also a reason they are the biggest dogs of anyone that we could go back through of anyone in the national title game. They were 5-7 and seven a year ago, Matt Green. This is year one for Sunny Dykes. We don't see year one coaches make this kind of jump. Uh, he's obviously a Mike Leach disciple, son of a uh, college coach. Kirby's a son of a high school coach. Uh, coaching is in both these coaches' bloods. Very you different stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. you know what's funny about that the first year head coach thing
1: yeah the last
0: team that went from unranked to the national champ preseason unranked to the national championship was a first year head coach was 2013 auburn hmm. with gus malzahn so it, it's kind of interesting that's the last time that a un, preseason unranked team and the last time a preseason unranked team won the national championship do you have that stat handy wait say a lot say it again Last time a preseason unranked team won the national championship, quote unquote, won because they split it.
1: Um,
0: what conference? I'm just gonna tell you. Okay. <laughs> Nineteen ninety, the Georgia Tech. Georgia Yellow Tech. Tickets. Wow. Yeah. So it's been a while, but yeah, the Auburn thing I thought that was interesting with the the first year head coach. But I'll, I'll let you get back to what you're saying.
1: Well, so one is coached um football scoop did a really good piece zach barnett from the show did a really great piece outlining this and there's so many good nuggets that i wanted to share on this program so um they went five and seven a year ago and all this is in zach's piece that i highly encourage folks to go check out um they're coached by a head coach and offensive coordinator they went eight and four in the american in 2021 garrett riley which uh, i forgot someone posted on twitter like it has to it has to i think connor o'gara from the program posted this where it like it's some part of Lincoln Riley has to be annoyed that his brother is coaching in a national title game <laughs> before, before he is, um, Garrett Riley. So he's the OC, Joe Gillespie, DC. are the first
0: Big p- 12 team to win a playoff game too.
1: That's true. Riley had uh,
0: how many shots at that? Two or three?
1: Yeah. Um, Two as
0: the head coach, three total?
1: Yeah. Um, and they went seven and six in the American uh, last year. They entered this season 200 to one to win the national title. They were picked to finish 7th in the 10-team Big 12. They did not even enter the rankings until October 2nd. I mean, just all kinds of just bonkers just numbers from TCU like is this the greatest underdog championship story in college ball we've ever seen in our lifetime?
0: Yeah, I think it would have to be. If if they go on and win the national title, I think like, our memory, like how how good is your memory of 90s college football? You know, it's like mm-hmm. we're, we're still real young at that point. So like in my true 21st century college football memory, like maybe Ohio State is probably one of the better stories. And it's like they were probably like preseason number eight that year or something, but Miami was just such a juggernaut. It, it had a real David and Goliath uh, vibe to it, but like I don't and our org, uh, excuse me. Auburn wasn't exactly a good story in twenty ten, just because everyone, it was like their quarterback got kicked out of this other school and now he's back. I guess it's a chance of redemption. So that's a, that's a good story. But most people disliked that Auburn team, so it didn't feel as like much of a feel good story. But I mean, it's hard to come up with another one like. I mean, Georgia 2017 being preseason, what were they, probably 2018 or something like that, Kirby Smart's second year, like that's probably one of the more improbable teams to get this far, and much less unranked teams that are signing the 40th, 40th and 30th ranked recruiting classes.
1: Yeah, and that's the other part of this, is just the the recruiting classes, but it's also They're older, which is interesting. So Zach points this out, and I don't know if you knew this, but this is super fascinating. They're an old team. Uh, TCU has a number of fifth and sixth year seniors. Eight Frogs have started at least 30 games. 14 have started 20 or more. Only one first or second year player gets significant stats, and that includes a true freshman nose guard, dominic williams i think that's an under talked about part of this and you see that in the nfl and nba especially it's like rookie teams just struggle so when we're thinking about maybe teams in the future and like programs that might be able to jump start a rebuild look at how many snaps the guys who are going to actually play for this group have played because it's just youth doesn't win even in the college level when you have to start a bunch of freshmen and sophomores like there's a reason that teams tennessee being one of them i mean georgia has like you wonder you're like how do these guys sit for years they're so good when we finally see them in year three like how do they not play it's because they're not ready like coaches are going to prefer to play the three four year guys who've been in the system or at least have played a lot of college football over the guy it doesn't matter if you're a five star or whatever they don't trust you like you have to learn the game you have to get comfortable playing college sports it's very different like you're you can dominate. We're from the state of Georgia. We've seen the Kim Dts of the world just absolutely obliterate um, guys week in, week out, and they're the best player in the field. It's not particularly close, but it's different when you get to college because you might be the third best player on your team uh, on, on the defensive line uh, at that point. Um, that was just not the case. So you just have to – there's an adjustment period. And TCU being an older team, as Zach points out, I think is an under-talked-about part of this, is that they're older at- across the board, and you have like the hodges of the world at linebacker. The dude who transferred him from Navy, dude's a ball hawk, just an absolute madman. Um, you just they play that three-three-five style that basically everybody plays now in some variation um, because you just you think it's going to be no blitz because there's only sending three, and then you're like, oh crap, here comes a couple more flying in, and you just you think you should be able to run on them, and you can't, and it's really frustrating to deal with this. So a lot of defenses have modeled this, or at least added this into their rotation. I don't yeah, know. I think they- it's interesting.
0: I feel like the three three five thing. It's it's like when people talk about the pro style offense. I it, it, mm. it feel like so much is made of it. It's like you you look at Georgia and like Georgia would call themselves like a three four because that's like what they typically run. But it's like. You got five defensive backs on the field basically the entire time. So just Mm. about everybody's running a 3-3-5 or maybe it's a 4-2-5 at some times. Mm. But it's like you basically have in today's football, you basically always have five defensive backs on the field.
1: Yeah, the base is the nickel now. No one's starting off in the 4-3 anymore.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, you know, maybe this transfer portal era in all this, it's like maybe this will be the ultimate equalizer. Like kinda how college basketball is. Like the, the talent is going like the elite of elite talent is going to a handful of programs, but it's the one that can it's the ones that can stack that next level of talent that's not going to the NBA, that's gonna hang around for three or four years, like you can actually build a, a championship contender with with that sort of team.
1: Yeah. Um so there you go. There was also some other couple uh, interesting things um, from this. So they're also really healthy. And this is something that I think we need to talk about when the when the playoff goes to 12, right? It's just health is going to be so critical. And that comes with depth. But, like, it's going to be 15, 16 games for a lot of these Power 5 schools. And that's why, like, the Uber 5 schools just have no shot. You're not going to have the depth. Like, you could win a four-team playoff. Like, TCU can pull this off now. Or even a Tulane, who we saw just beat USC. Like, Tulane could have beaten Michigan. Like, you could have seen a scenario where they beat a Michigan this year in the playoff. But could they beat a Michigan? Scenario,
0: yeah, anything can happen.
1: Right. It's just asking these rosters to hold up over a three to four game playoff or three to four matchup playoff against the best of the best in these highly physical games. It's just, it's going to be almost impossible. It's going to be next to impossible. And TCU's healthy. Um, outside of johnston who dealt with some ankle stuff later on the year but he we saw him against michigan he's fine kendry miller has been healthy all year long up until this point max duggan has started every game um as zach points out uh since we the lineup in week two i mean the offensive line is going to go a perfect 75 for 75 impossible starts this year as a collective unit like the whole offensive line has played together and played every snap together and started every snap together that matters that continuity matters And those are the little things that we might overlook when looking at uh, how teams are going to fare and how things go. It's just continuity, age, and um, development because they developed these guys. Like, Quinn Johnston was not like, he was uh, a four-star, but it wasn't like he was just going to be the best player in the the draft. Like, Max Duggan wasn't even supposed to start, and he's become a Heisman finalist. They deserve all the credit in the world for that. They deserve all the credit in the world for developing uh, LaDainian Thompson's what, nephew, cousin? I forget which one. Something like that well he's really good and he wasn't just because he was a thompson you're like oh he must have been like a force no he was he was an afterthought um and he's a thorpe winner (laughs) um for this tcu team so they developed really well gary patterson a lot of his players are responsible on the defensive side for this but like little things like that man where it's just you need so many different variables to get to this point you need to coach well and they have a great staff with garrett riley sunny dykes and joe gillespie it's just a great group Um, They had the base that Gary Patterson built on the defensive side of the ball. So they did not have to um, lose a lot there. And he's just, he's such a great defensive coach. The offense was the issue the last couple of years during the Gary Patterson fall from grace and Fort Worth. And then you just look at, you get the Heisman quarterback play. You need that. If you're a smaller team trying to make the playoff, like Desmond Ritter was that guy from Cincinnati last year, you got to have it. You got to have the Heisman type quarterback um, to lead you with this group. And then you uh you need health and that's what they've had so i think it there's a lot of different interesting variables that you're like okay this is uh this is interesting and then you look at their 70th and run defense and you're like oh god this is this problem but then Bijan Robinson didn't run against this team like he struggled texas was not able to run on TCU um you look at uh the michigan game it wasn't like michigan ran all over TCU mackran so i'm curious to see if georgia's able to run um, all over Ohio State in this one because um, the bigger matchups, they have not been able to do so. So great piece by Zach and highly encourage people to go check it out at Football Scoop. But um, I don't know. It made me question a little bit more if Georgia is going to blow TCU out in this one.
0: I definitely don't see a blowout com- coming. I just, mm. I think TCU is a good team. So I, I, uh, I think when you... The the like you said the running defense like that's that's the biggest question mark for me like if they're just getting gashed on the ground by Georgia then you know that's definitely something to worry about um, but Texas who was it Texas Kansas and um, it wasn't Kansas State but I remember the, the the three best offenses they faced in the Big Twelve this year like Texas Tech was the other mm. one because um, they're the number one offense in the in the Big Twelve but uh, TCU but there was kind of some mixed results. Like Kansas had a lot of success. That was like a shootout. Obviously that was a different Kansas team they faced early on. Texas Tech, I think scored like close to 30 on them. But uh, Texas, they really put the shackles on Texas. So I don't know how much Texas necessarily is as a comp to Georgia. Like they, they're just not really the same style, like, Of offense like they obviously have a super dynamic running game and and they were able to shut that down so you know they are Quinn Ewer is one of the more talented quarterbacks they face so you know that's probably one of the games they look to and think if if they can do that against Texas I guess that's probably maybe one of the closer teams to Georgia but I think Georgia is just a much more dynamic offense uh, kind of more balanced all around
1: yeah well Matt Green it's time for our actual preview, or our actual picks, excuse me. What is your official prediction for Georgia TCU on Monday night in LA at SoFi Stadium, sir?
0: So uh, I think this is gonna be a really close game. I think um, it feels like the type of game that, I don't know, maybe they there's not a lot of offense early, like they're kind of, teams are feeling each other out, but um, I think ultimately, I don't think TCU is going to be able to get enough stops. Like, I think Max Duggan is going to to make some plays in this game. I think he's going to, you know, just have some of those scrambles, some of those, you know, nice runs. Quentin Johnson will probably, you know, uh, have a big reception or two in this game. But I, I don't think they're, they're going to be able to make enough plays consistently enough. Like, if they're able to... Run the ball well enough to have Georgia bring one of their safeties down. Like that's that's gonna be the game changer because Georgia just typically can stop the run without having to worry about this without having this worry about the safeties um, bringing the safeties up uh, in in run defense. So if they're able to run the ball, I think that's the ultimate X factor. But and if and if Bennett is turning the ball over, like if they can get one or two turnovers, and that's not to say that like Stetson Bennett is just some turnover machine. I think he's only got like six or seven picks on the year. But I think that's just, that's what it's going to take. And that's kind of what it took for Ohio State to be in control of the game early. But like you saw in that Ohio State game, it felt like there were so many opportunities for Ohio State to be like, oh, wow, are they about to run away with this game? Or like they just had all of the momentum and you saw time and time again, Georgia just bounced back, overcame two 14-point leads uh, two different times in that game. TCU is obviously a battle-tested team. Like, they've, they've had these, you know, these just – they're the, the, the pyro-toads for a reason. They've been playing with fire all year. So I just don't think in the end, I don't think they're going to be able to stop Georgia's offense enough. So I'm going to go Georgia 37, and they cover T- TCU 23.
1: Wow. Okay. I'm still, I laid the case out and I still just think TCU is going to run out of gas here. Kendry Miller being banged up a little bit scares me. I think the difference between what Ohio state did and what TCU is going to do, like TCU is not going to catch Georgia by surprise. Like they played the same game every single week. It's just chaos. Everything's chaos. You don't need to watch till the second half because they're just they're gonna sleepwalk through the first. It doesn't matter where they're at. The second half is gonna be bonkers. It's just what they do. Um they haven't played anybody like Georgia to this point. Like it hasn't gotten to the point where I just don't see the the back to back or the two pick sixes and Michigan self destructing and having to put themselves in these holes over and over again. That TCU also let them back in multiple times where they could have slammed the door on Michigan and they, they did not. I don't think you're gonna get away with that. Uh, against Georgia I think this is a little bit different I think Georgia's gonna be more locked in I think Ohio State caught Georgia by surprise significantly more than um, TCU like I don't think Georgia saw the CJ Stroud under pressure stuff coming like I don't think they saw that version of him and that was just that completely changed the game is they were like oh this dude's making plays on the run he's scrambling he I mean he almost did enough I mean he put the kicker in a great spot on a big scramble again yeah. where it's just like we hadn't seen it all year long max duggan does that every single week like everything on tape that max duggan's done we've seen and there's just a difference between the number one overall talent and the talent that ohio state has like there's a reason that a lot of people were like a preseason national championship pick was ohio state i think you picked ohio state before the season to win the national title on this very program there's a reason that tc was not ranked And I think we're going to hit that final bit where it's like the depth and the talent level was such a big reason as to why Ohio State was able to jump on Georgia that I just, I don't see it from TCU. So I think my final pick here is I'm going to say Georgia, (sighs) Georgia 42, TCU 24
0: all right put it on the board and i to be fair like yeah that might be why tcu wasn't ranked in the preseason but safe to say like they the preseason predictions about them were totally off so they've proven that they've proven the naysayers wrong time and time again so you know that's and that's why i struggle with like these composite rankings and these like analytical stuff because it's like okay you say what you want i watched tcu play and they they're a good football team and they, they win just about every game they've played this year. So it's like, it's, it's hard to just, to just count them out. Max Duggan, you know, he's a player. It's interesting how every uh, Georgia game seems to come down to like the storyline is made to be this team's offense versus Georgia's defense. It's, and it's like in this scenario, like TCU's got the 13th ranked offense is 13th in the country in total offense. Like Georgia's eighth, like Georgia's got a better offense, uh, a better they're almost like the same. TCU's got the 20th ranked rush offense. Georgia's 23rd. Georgia's got the 15th ranked pass offense. TCU's 29th. Georgia's got the ninth ranked total defense. TCU's 73rd. It's like that's that's the big one that stands out right there. It's just it's hard to see TCU like Ohio State. I think has like the 13th ranked uh, defense in the country this year. Like it's they're they're way they've been way better than TCU in we also talked about, you know, maybe those some of those offenses in the Big Ten they face versus offenses in the Big Twelve. That you know, there's there's opinions on that. But Ohio State has, we know, has, you know, probably better players than TCU, and statistically they were much better defensively than TCU, and they weren't able to stop Georgia from putting up 42 with two missed field goals in the game. So it's uh it's hard to see TCU getting getting much more stops than Ohio State did. So yeah, I think uh, I think ultimately that's. How it's gonna go down. And uh how are you gonna deal with uh the hypothetical scenario? Because I'm not counting my chickens before they hatch, sir. And know some Georgia fans might be out there, like you were talking, oh, George already won the national championship. Although Georgia fans, we we know we're uh we're a superstitious enough bunch to know not to not to count anything yet. Um But TCU is a good team, so it's a... Uh, we'll see what happens. I um I gotta feel good about my dogs, but w- what are your thoughts going to be hypothetically if Georgia is a back-to-back national champion?
1: Baseball opens in like a month. <laughs> That's where we're going with it. Yeah, like I, I, I'm good, man. Tennessee's basketball's fine. Like I'm a every I'm a take everything in stride person, man. I think Clemson's the main uh, priority football wise. Like they're on the way down. That's where Tennessee recruits, and they're if they start winning those battles, and Clemson continues on their trajectory like tennessee just won 11 games like i don't know we're good man or i'm just glad you're in the mix that's the main thing you're not going to catch georgia and alabama like i don't tennessee fans who hope that we build the juggernaut that kirby has built just not not feasible you don't have the talent base in the state of tennessee that georgia does just not not ever going to happen um i don't think so i want to be in the mix i want to be in that top 12 every single year and uh in recruiting and look see what happens like i'm i'm content man it was a great season um beat alabama it's a lot of fun you get george at home next year with carson beck coming in like anything Absolutely. can happen like it todd monken could be the next oc for the Tampa buccaneers like that's my main focus is getting todd monken another <laughs> nfl job is getting him out of here because that's what i want to see i want to see Kirby go the Jimbo route and hire his Bobby Petrino following uh, the Todd Monkin leave. Cause I don't <laughs> think he's going to go two for two on his OC hire. So I'm just, he hired James Coley once he can hire James Coley at Jace again. I don't know who that is. Maybe it's Brian Schottenheimer. Like many are saying he would love an opportunity to redeem himself in Athens. One like that's thing, my main, my main, and I, bet you,
0: I don't know if people would have such a mixed feelings about this, but Uh, I didn't think of this at the time. I actually, I was listening to the dogs 24 seven podcast and rusty Mansell pointed this out Mm. because me and Jake uh, or my brother, Jake and I, like we always talked about when Georgia under Mike Bobo and Mark Richt, Georgia ran the same two point conversion play every single time guy rolls out to the right. All the, all the actions going to the right. And it's like, you throw it to either the guy who stops in the middle or you throw it to the guy by the pylon. Like, every time. Like that was what we ran. And it worked all the time. Todd Monkin's done a lot. Todd Monkin's awesome with the media. Honestly, I wish Todd Monkin would talk to the media more. Like he, he squashed so much of the Stetson hate going to the playoff last year. Like just by talking to the media. Isn't that a Kirby
1: thing? He doesn't let the assistants talk. Maybe,
0: but Todd Monkin's awesome talking to the media, just how unfiltered he is. But, um, he was, he's, he was the first one to give so much credit to Mike Bobo of, of what Mike Bobo's contributed to this staff. So like, He's like, there's just so many guys on this Georgia staff that love Georgia. He's like, there's no, you know, guys who've been coaches in this industry for 20 years that are going to be drawing up this stuff like after hours, like like Bobo and some of these must champ and some of these guys that like are just Georgia through and through. So I, uh, that two point conversion Georgia ran against Ohio State or to McConkie in the fourth quarter, like that was classic Mike Bobo right there. So if you see, uh, if Monken does go... Like, Mike Bobo is on this staff right now. Like, I wouldn't be surprised to see to see Bobo back on this staff. Like, we're just bringing all the Mark Rigged guys back. Like, it's just, uh, you got Kirby running the show now. Which, honestly, that's probably all you need. Like, if the way Mark Rigged was running a damn good program, I'm sure all the coaches he had were really good. It was just like, it was that recruiting. It was just, it was really, really good recruiting. It was never elite of the elite and it's like that's that's what kirby smart's doing now if and that's the other thing like it took that second championship for Dabo to get that like that sabin conversation to get it like oh one a one b which it would never was one a one b but when Dabo got his second title like that's when he got started to get talked about in that elite of the elite head coaches like if kirby gets the back-to-back championship like three national title appearances in the last six years like you know, you got to start to have those conversations on where you rank Kirby. And I think Saban's the only person you can really justify being ahead of him. And, like, in terms of career accomplishments, Saban's obviously won. But with what George is doing right now, you know, it's, it's hard to rank any. It's, it's hard to say you'd take anybody over Kirby Smart right now today in college football
1: yeah all right. so you're not doing the all time you're just doing right now
0: no no definitely not i mean he's got what six, na- seven national championships is it seven yeah. with lsu or s- I'm, I'm not sure i lost I mean, count to I mean, go
1: bowden over him you'd still go going oh more. yeah
0: i just mean an active yeah. head coaches like yeah i mean yeah you got a long way to start yeah. talking about all-time greats but like in terms of who you want coaching your your program today in college football a lot of it the fact that he's what 50 years old right now um kirby smart about as good as it gets
1: Absolutely. All right, Matt Green. Well, man, next time we talk, you'll either be a national champion, back-to-back national champion. I mean, will you be upset? I feel like it would hurt more to lose to TCU than anything else. Like, there's just something about, like, because you know the jokes would never end. Like, no matter what goodwill Kirby and Georgia has bought by winning as much as they have over the last two years, the most because you know the georgia sports stuff the the dogs get roped in with the falcons and the hawks and the braves and the heartache and that sort of thing if they lose a close game to tcu i'm i'm just gonna go ahead and tell you like that's gonna be just driven home and just be something that will be in the thorn of e- the side like the thorn in the side of every georgia fan forever because they will be like yeah you could have done more but like didn't you lose to TCU in the national title game? Isn't that what happened? Like the TCU Horned Frogs, are supposed to TCU be SEC. They the They're supposed to be I SEC. That's what I don't understand.
0: If TCU wins the national championship, obviously they're a damn good team. So like, how can it be... I'm
1: saying it won't be rational. I'm saying that you're going to get that forever. Like Gator fans will do it. Like Florida never lost to TCU in the national title game. Tennessee fans like, well, we never lost to TCU. The fans
0: of the 6 and 7 team <laughs> talk about how embarrassing it is to lose the national But you know they're going to do it that. is what I'm
1: saying. No, I mean,
0: I'm sure there's going to be those fans out there, but it doesn't make any, it doesn't mean it's a legitimate argument. So if if TCU wins, I mean, I'm sure there'll be the people who try to troll Georgia about it. But I mean, if TCU wins, that's like one of the greatest stories in the history of college football. Like, so it's it's going to be the biggest championship upset. I had that written down too. I don't think I ever said that. This is the fourth time it's been a double digit uh, favorite in the national title game. 2000, mm. FSU was a 10 point favorite over Oklahoma. They lost. 2002, Miami was an 11 point favorite over Ohio State. They lost. 2012, Alabama was a 10 point favorite over Notre Dame. They blasted them. Mm. And then um, 2013, FSU was a uh, 12 point favorite over Auburn. And they won, obviously, right there at the end. So it's been a mixed bag for teams that have been huge favorites on this stage. So. You know, I think last year's, I'll definitely be disappointed, obviously. <clears throat> this is just a golden opportunity to, to win back-to-back national championships. Like, that, that's, that's some, like, elite of elite company right there. You know, like, some Duke Blue Devil, you know, Alabama Dynasty type stuff. So, there's so few teams that have, that have done back-to-back championships in any sport, honestly, um, especially in college that that puts you in such rarefied air that Georgia's kind of always been on that next tier. Like you even look at that, like they actually, if they win this game, I think right now they are tied three way tie for a ninth place in college football history. USC, Tennessee, and Georgia have the same number of wins all time. And I believe mm. Georgia can pass USC and Tennessee. It'd be ninth all time. And that's like, it's mm. kind of where Georgia is, you know, the ninth best program of all time that they're not considered that elite of elite and i don't know if i don't know if everyone kind of would consider them ninth best all time you know if they're you know usc does have a storied history and all that with more championships and everything so georgia having that elite of an accomplishment to kind of you know hang their hat on that really that takes the whole program that just the perception of the program to a whole nother level so if they lose i'm obviously going to be disappointed but I can tell you right now, because I listened to the Dog Nation podcast this week uh, with Brandon Adams, and he was talking about how he didn't enjoy the Ohio State game. He's like, I was just a nervous wreck. I didn't enjoy it for a second. And I talked to my brother. I was like, I thought the complete opposite. I feel like I enjoyed every second of the game because it's like, we had 40 years. Like I didn't have 40 years personally, but I had all of my lifetime as a Georgia fan Hanging over every big game, that it's like Mm -hmm. you lose this game. Now it's 25 years since we won a national championship. Now it's 30 years. Now it's 35. Now it's 40. So it's like every big game was just just magnified that much for Georgia. It's like now we really are playing with house money. It's like you're supposed to beat TCU. You're a huge favorite in this game, but you didn't go into the year just expecting a national championship. So. You know, we just won one last year. I don't think I'll have just like this irrational, you know, meltdown if we lose, but it'll obviously be a huge opportunity. And not to disrespect TCU, but I kind of know what you're saying in terms of you have an opportunity to win back-to-back national titles, and you don't have to go through Ohio State. You don't have to go through Alabama. You don't have to go through, you know, some sort of blue blood, Oklahoma with a Heisman Trophy winner or something like that. It's not. It's not the most daunting task. It's got to be. It, you're you a double digit favorite. An opportunity to to make history. It's a. Uh, it's massive. I don't and know. And the
1: dumb part too is like, we prop up Oklahoma and the beating Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl with uh, and if yeah in the Rose Bowl with um Baker, and you're like this TCU team is probably better than any of the Oklahoma teams that made the playoff, and you'll be like this will see be seen as a bigger like more embarrassing loss to lose the TCU than it would be a lot because of like of the, the brand premier name. brands it's a brand thing and it's like yeah. TCU's better than any big 12 team that's ever made the playoff or even sniffed the playoff
0: that it's hard to say that's that's probably true I think some of those big 12 teams because the SEC is 3-0 against the big 12 in the playoff mm. but um it's like some of those Oklahoma teams they got matched up with what 2019 LSU with 2018 Bama they 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 got a, a tough draw in some of those but those, they were also four seeds so TCU mm-hmm. ran the table the whole year so they kind of earned that that leeway they got at the end well to, I'm to just saying the they're more complete seed.
1: like the defense was there like the Oklahoma defenses were never there with Grant. like there was never they never they had This
0: isn't a great defense though but I
1: mean TCU has the Heisman quarterback Max Duggan and they also have – like, it's just – it's a more physical team. That defense is more physical. And I think it's just a yeah. better overall – I think it's just a more balanced team than any of those yeah. Oklahoma teams. They
0: Oklahoma's defenses just seem bad. Like, this yeah. might not be a great defense, but it, it doesn't seem like a bad defense by any means. And they, they're they're fast. Like, they're opportunistic. Like
1: Do you know they're running the 3-5? Three, three,
0: is that right? I haven't mm-hmm. heard that before. Um, but, yeah, so the the two pick sixes, you know, that's – uh that's the lasting image we have of the defense right now they, they've made some plays so if it doesn't matter if they're ranked 70th or whatever they are in the country if, if they if they get another pick six or two of the national title game you'll always remember this defense fondly there you go
1: matt green good luck to you sir i am not going to say that uh i'm pulling for the dogs to win uh back to back national championships as we talked about but i would not, not expect you're not pulling for us man I'm not, but the, here's the Dusty thing.
0: Dusty Baker's Twitter data suggests that Tennessee is rooting for Georgia. I just want you to know that.
1: I don't think I have a rooting Your interest. neighbors,
0: your neighbors are rooting for Georgia.
1: My family's rooting for Georgia. That's true.
0: Actually, maybe your neighbors are rooting for Georgia. Maybe the rest of the state of Tennessee might be, have a soft spot. I think Knoxville, Tennessee, they might not be. They I was going to say Nashville probably has a lot
1: of transplants, and Memphis yeah, is maybe. probably just like, yeah, it's fine. Who cares? And then East Tennessee is my guess of like, no, nah, I just, I don't know, man. Part of what makes rivalries fun is like I want the worst for you. Like uh, you get annoyed with the everything school and uh, all that. Like I think part of what's fun about college football is being like, wow, I really don't like when your team succeeds. Like, I don't think there'll ever be a point where I'm like, wow, I'm really glad Alabama won another national title. Like I'm rooting for Alabama versus TCU or whoever. No, I don't think that day's ever coming. I think that's part of the part of the appeal. And it's not, uh, uh, I don't think it's being bad sportsmanship. It's just like, hey, we're rivals and uh, I don't want your team to win more games than my team and my university.
0: That's uh that's fair enough. That's how it goes. I uh, I felt like I would rock, you know, the neutral, you know, we can mm. all agree on the Braves World Series shirt today, you know, have mm-hmm. some of that uh that championship kind of uh energy, you know, kind mm. of, I did. I I own I own one Cubs shirt, uh, a mm. World Series shirt. I only bought because we were at Wrigley Field and it was freezing, and I had to get a long sleeve shirt. But um the day of like the the World Series, I wore my Cubs shirt underneath my Braves cuz Bring that World Series energy, you know, and it worked. So, you know, I'm doing the same thing here for the dogs. There you go. Matt Green, uh,
1: always a pleasure, my friend. And uh, I will see you on the flippity flop. Yes, sir. This has been Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker, or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at six eighty The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves. Chase, I think I'm gonna hear more about you. I really do. I think you've got a way about you that you're interviewing. Mm-hmm. You're, um